No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see that the Lord is incomparable to any idol. He is sovereign over the earth and princes, and He sees all. He gives power and strength to the weak. We hope you join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Isaiah chapter 40 on Simply the Bible. What compares with God? He is infinitely transcendent. The highest heavens cannot contain His glory or His love. Yet, He condescends to dwell with people. One of the greatest tragedies in human history is idolatry, where man worships created things rather than the Creator. In ancient times, this involved carving an image from wood, metal, or stone. Then the person would call it a god and worship it. Today, our idols are not always so obvious. They are master passions of the heart. But nevertheless, they draw the heart away from the true worship of the true and living God. As we continue in Isaiah 40, we see the contrasts between the real God and the man-made counterfeits. We pick it up in verse 18. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? That's a great question. The more I discover about God through his word and his working in my life and in the lives of those whom I know, the more I see how no one and nothing in this world compares with him in his goodness, power, righteousness, and love. But this should not surprise us because the one who creates something is always better than that which he creates. Verse 19, the workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Now the workman could make many things. He could build a house or a piece of furniture. He could build shelves to store his stuff on. If he were an artist, he could even make a sculpture. None of these things would be wrong. Instead, he molds an image and covers it with gold or silver with the intention of bowing down before it and making it his God. If he is too poor to cover it with a precious metal, then he simply leaves it as a wood carving. He makes sure it does not totter so that his God does not fall on its face. Now, does this make any sense? We get the feeling that Isaiah describes the idol-making process just so that people will see how ridiculous it is. But the truth is that the most popular idol in the world today is the idol of self. People are obsessed with themselves. We even have a magazine called Self. But while a person can live to please himself, he can never save himself from his sins or their consequences. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. 
Isaiah asks four questions to show that people who reject God to worship idols are without excuse. People have heard about God. They have been told about him from the beginning. When Noah and his three sons and their wives exited the ark, everybody knew about God and their children knew about God. And these stories were passed down from one generation to the next throughout all the earth. But even if your parents never told you about God, creation itself testifies of the Creator. That's the point the Apostle Paul makes in Romans 1.18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They knew the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. When we stand before God as our judge on Judgment Day, we won't be able to excuse ourselves by saying, well, I never knew there was a God. That excuse simply won't stand. The truth is that God sits above the circle of the earth. Now, isn't it interesting that Isaiah referred to the earth as being a circle 2,700 years ago? From God's perspective, we all appear as grasshoppers. God stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Doesn't this speak of the ever-expanding universe? With each new discovery of the vastness of space and the distant galaxies, we become smaller by comparison. Verse 23, he brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. So God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Take a look at the most formidable king, president, or world leader. Do they seem invincible? But they are like the grass of the field and God brings them to nothing in his time. They are here today and gone tomorrow. They are blown away like a tumbleweed and someone else takes their place. This has been the way it has been from generation to generation. World leaders come and go, but God remains the same. To whom then will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Astronomers tell us that our own Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years across. So it takes 100,000 years for light to travel from one end to the other. There are an estimated 100 billion galaxies, each separated by an average distance of 3 million light years, and each galaxy has an average of 100 billion stars. I mean, who can comprehend such vastness? And yet, the Lord brings out the starry host by number. He calls them by name. The same is true with his host of people. 
Jesus is our good shepherd. He numbers his sheep. He knows us by name. He even has numbered the hairs on our head. His sheep hear his voice. He leads us out into fine green pastures. Of all the Father gives him, he loses not a single one. How does he do it? By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power and, of course, by his love. Verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? Now, Israel of all nations should have known these things. They had experienced the Lord's visible presence for 40 years during the wilderness journey from Egypt to the promised land. How could they ever say, my way is hidden from the Lord? God has overlooked my just claim. The truth is that God sees everything. David wrote, you know my thoughts from afar off. In other words, God knows what we are thinking before we even think it. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So they claimed their way was hidden from the Lord, but the truth was God saw it all. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So there is no one like him. There is no one strong and mighty as he is. He never gets weary and he knows everything. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Now, understand here, what is the one condition if you want to receive God's power? I mean, I get weary. I get weak. I know that I come to the end of myself and I have no more strength or wisdom. And that's when I have to reach out to God and realize that I need his strength. I need his power. I need his wisdom. But who does he give this to? It says right here, he gives power to the weak. That's the condition that I must be aware of my own weakness and then come to the Lord for his strength, trust in him for his power. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what does it mean anyway to wait on the Lord? It doesn't mean that we just passively do nothing. This verb of waiting means to wait with hope, with expectancy. I mean, consider when you go to a restaurant and there's a waiter who's watching you. And if you've been to a good restaurant where the waiter is really good, he's not there too much so that he interferes with your conversation But he's there whenever you need him, whenever your coffee or water needs to be filled, whatever it is, he's there. Whenever you run out of food, he's there to ask you the next question. And that's the kind of awareness and activity we should have when we wait upon God. We should be looking toward him, listening to his words, watching at his doorposts, seeking his face, bringing our cares before him, laying them at his feet. And as we hope in him and trust in him, guess what? 
He gives to us his strength. That's the same thing that the Apostle Paul discovered in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he had his thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but three times he pled that the Lord would remove it from him. And the Lord simply said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect through your weakness. So Paul realized that, hey, if that's the case, I'm going to boast then in my weaknesses, in my infirmities, in my distresses, in my needs, in my persecutions. Why? Because I know that where I am weak, then I am strong. Because in those weak places where I am leaning upon God's strength, then his power is perfected through me. What a glorious promise we have. We don't need to be On our own, we don't need to be muddling through this life, trying to do it ourselves. We can look to God. There's no one like him. There's no one who compares to him. And a God who is not only so infinite as to create this vast universe, but so condescending that he comes and meets us where we are at and gives strength to every weak person who calls upon his name and trusts in him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who cares, that you are sovereign, that you desire to strengthen those who are weak and who call upon your name. I pray, Father, that we would look to you, that we would seek your face, and Lord, that in our weakness, we would be made strong in the strength of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. That's calvarytv.org. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. To listen to previous episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Tomorrow we will see where the Lord raises up one from the east who defeats kings and terrifies the coastlands. God encourages his servant Israel not to fear, for he is with them. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Isaiah on Simply the Bible.